What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 29 of the Next Byte podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about a new nanoparticle that can help detect a tumor location inside your body from your pee. A new neck brace that's smart and robotic, and it's helping cancer patients recover faster, as well as a new wing design for planes to help make them super quiet when they're taking off and landing. Roll the intro music. I'm Daniel. And I'm Forbode. And this is the Next Byte Podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. All right, we're jumping into our first article which is a new nano a new nanoparticle developed by a team from MIT led by Dr. Sangeeta Bhatia. Um, and basically what their new nanoparticle does is it can detect whether you have cancer, one, and also where it's located in your body, basically just from looking at your urine or your pee. So it's pretty intense. It's, it's a BOGO. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's awesome. I dig it. So the problem they're solving is really one it's challenging to pinpoint when someone has cancer period um, right and then more so than that it's even more challenging to pinpoint where it's located and an earlier mm-hmm. diagnosis can be made the better the chances of survival are for a cancer patient so i didn't know this but here's a stat i found while doing research for this episode for lung cancer the five-year survival rates are at least six times higher in patients whose tumors are detected before they metastasize and spread somewhere else so if you can detect tumors while they're small and before they spread at least for lung cancer and i'm assuming it's similar for other types of cancer it's six their survival rate is six times higher uh what's what's the current like method of diagnosing someone with cancer like preventative measures is it during your like yearly checkup they they run some sort of test i'm not too familiar with this yeah so if you're assumed to be at risk for cancer they do imaging Mm -hmm. tests which like they do on a regular basis like every six months or every year imaging is used to look for cancer so that's like cat scans they also these things called pet scans that take a look at how your organs function but they often yield false positives they're costly and they miss very early cancer. So when the tumors are small, it's hard to distinguish that from another part of your organs. And when they oh. start to get larger, like for lung cancer, for example, they might tell you you have cancer and they need to go in and do surgery and find out that it's a benign growth somewhere in your lungs. So the problem here is when does someone have cancer? How do we figure that out in an easy and you know, cost-effective way? I mean, how can we also find out where it's located? So Dr. Bhatia and her team have found these nanoparticles that you either inhale or you inject into the body and they can do just both okay. of those two things. How does it work? So like I'm assuming with detection, you, you, you know, consume the nanoparticles and then based on the title, I'm assuming you pee it out and maybe there's a color difference that they're looking for something specific in the pee, right? Yeah. But how can they tell like where the tumor is based on the pee. Okay, so these tiny nanoparticles, they're called peptides, which are basically just chunks okay. of protein molecules. So they're very, very small pieces. Yeah, tiny small pieces of protein molecules. 
And you're right, you consume them either by inhaling them or injecting them into the bloodstream. And these tiny peptide nanoparticles actually flock to wherever cancer is. So they're attracted to where the cancer okay. cells are. And so here's where they do the two things. One, when the cancer is present, these tiny mm-hmm. molecules will produce a signal chemical that exits the body in the urine. So uh, you consume oh. these particles, you know, they find their way to, if there's a tumor in your body, they'll find their way to the cancerous cells. And they'll produce this chemical that exits in your urine and can be detected in a paper test, uh, just like a pregnancy test. So you pee on a stick and it'll tell you whether or not you have cancer. Um, so that's like, <laughs> okay. to me, as you know, compare that to the imaging studies, that seems like a really, you know, efficient way, really cost efficient. And it's not as, you know, invasive, let's say. So like, you don't have to go s- sit there and have an MRI for hours. You can just kind of like inhale this mist of particles and then pee on a stick and it'll tell you whether or not you have cancer. So that solves one of the two problems right there, right off the bat. And like, I, I just did my first like doctor check after five years and like doing urine tests is, is part of like the routine procedure, right? And there's so much they can tell by looking at your pee and you could just add that to the list of things to look for, therefore not disrupting the flow, not doing any extra tests to just get the green light that, yeah, you don't have cancer. Exactly. So there's the second part of this is finding, so oh, wait, I do have cancer. Where is it located? So if you remember, I told you these little peptide nanoparticles are attracted to the tumors and they kind of flock to the cancerous area in the body. So what they do is they would do a follow-up test where they coat these nanoparticles in a radioactive tracer, copper 64, so that it can be picked up using, you know, I talked about PET scans earlier where they look at how your organs function and flow inside the body. They can pick up this radioactive tracer, copper 64, in these PET scans. So basically the way that uh, Dr. Bhatia and her team imagines this working is every year you would get a urine test as part of a general checkup. They would test whether or not you have cancer, like you're saying. And then you would only do an imaging study where they put the radioactive particles in you only if the urine test turns positive. So you're not being exposed to radiation, you know, without undue cause. But then you can do a follow-up test where... You inhale or inject these copper 64 particles. It flocks to where the cancer is. You do the imaging test, and it tells you exactly in the body where this signal is coming from. So it can, one, locate whether or not you have cancer in an easy way, and then, two, find out where it is in your body. So the radioactive copper 64, does that – because, I mean, the benefit is clear. It's going to be able to localize the tumor. Does that do any significant damage to the body? It's it's not extremely harmful. There is some inherent risk associated with putting radioactive particles inside your body. And that's why they would only use it in the case that they've already found the cancer. Which makes sense. It's a calculated risk to be able to locate the tumors and treat them. Okay. Um, so it's like getting an x-ray, like risk-wise. Exactly. You, and you know you're getting some radiation. It's not great, but you only get an x-ray when really needed. If you're doing a PET scan, you're already using a radioactive tracer inside the body. Oh. So it's, okay. You know, it's, Didn't even it's, know that just another alternative to the tracers already being used for PET scans and it concentrates exactly where the tumors are located. And, you know, you're worried about, you mentioned some concerns about whether this is okay with the body. Uh, Dr. Bacchia's team has already done phase one clinical trials with an earlier version of these same particles and it found them to be safe for patients. So it's these specific, this specific iteration hasn't yet been tested but there's promising results based on previous tests saying that, you know, this might be able to be cleared for human testing and we might be able to see, uh, you know, urinary diagnostic particles like this, at least telling whether or not you have cancer from your pee, you know, in the next few years. That's music to my ears, man. 
And you know what? I, I would love this to become a part of my routine tests. That is, if, if I start actually going to the doctor once a year, making sure I'm healthy, make sure it's all good. Yeah, well, especially um, because it can massively increase the survival rates. It seems like a no-brainer exactly. to be able to do you know an easy urine test to figure out whether or not you have cancer. 100% agree with you. Now, let's talk about another article that's at the inter- intersection of cancer treatment and engineering. And we're going to get into a research coming out of the University of Columbia that talks about robotic neck braces for cancer treatment. So fun fact, head and neck cancer is the seventh most common cancer type in the world. And something like 3% of all fatalities in the world uh, that are cancer related actually come from head and neck cancer. I didn't, I didn't really know about any of this. Um, so that's not really a fun fact, but it is interesting. It's it's not fun fact at all. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I I didn't to be honest with you, I didn't even know it was a cancer type. I had never heard of it before, but it's pretty serious according to the statistics. Now, something you should know is that like most other cancers, it can spread to different organs, but it can also spread to your lymph nodes, and doctors can actually remove the lymph nodes in your neck to understand how bad is this thing going to spread. So that's great for the patient. They can investigate. Um, what's going on, how their body's behaving, how the tumor, I mean, how the cancer, how aggressive it is. Um, The downside is that by removing those lymph nodes, you actually end up giving the patients a harder time. They have neck and shoulder pain for years to come, and that doesn't make their lives any easier. So one one of the problems with this is that it's, what, what the researchers mentioned is that it's really difficult to characterize the pain and discomfort and the loss of the range of motion that the patients are experiencing. And they talked about that they have some tools to get some measurements, but either their measurements come out to be inaccurate or the system they have takes too much time to set up to just measure the um, the range of motion of the patient's neck for every single well, visit. that makes sense so It just me. doesn't make like, sense. Even if I have neck or shoulder pain, it's really hard for me to quantify and you know localize exactly where the pain's coming from or how it's affecting my range of motion. I won't be able to tell you that I can turn my head five degrees less than before. I'm just telling you my neck and shoulders hurt a lot. So I imagine exactly. that this team came up with a way to measure you know, how the body's doing and figure out where that pain's coming from. Kind of. Yeah. So the the way they did this, uh, they they created this neck brace. It's a robotic smart neck brace. It's made out of 3D printed parts. It's got inexpensive sensors in it. And what they're doing is that they're having the patients wear this and studying their full range of motion to understand how they work before they have the procedure. That gives them a baseline, something to compare to. This is like the ideal con- condition of how Furboat or Daniel would be moving their heads. Then they get the treatment. And every time they have a visit, they wear that brace again. And the doctors can look at the differences in the range of motion and be able to uh, basically prescribe this very targeted physical therapy that allows them to remove or alleviate some of the pain they're having and be able to get some of that range of motion back much earlier than they could traditionally. Well, that's really interesting. It kind of reminds me, uh, for about, I don't know if you played high school sports or I definitely but did not. I, no. I did in high school at least. And one of the things that they rolled out while I was in high school is they were starting to be more conscious about what when concussions happen and making sure we can detect them. And they made us do a benchmark test where we played all these computer that's games really, and it just felt that's like really doing cool. a memory game. But then after you mm-hmm. had a head, head injury, you hit your head or something, they would make you do this concussion test again and measure it against that benchmark to see maybe he does have a concussion. Maybe this is how we should treat it or this is how severe it is. So it seems like they're doing a similar thing you know, from my own past experience with concussions, but doing the same thing, but for your neck and the range of motion there. 
Yeah, that that's that's exactly what it is. And one of the things I loved about it is that it's inexpensive. It's 3D printed, which means they can scale this thing pretty easily. Um, they talked about how it's easy to wear for the patient so they can just kind of put it on during the visit, do their tests and be done with it without too much setup time. And um, I, I know we've talked about digital twins in the previous episodes, whereas you can create a computational representation of your body. And we kind of went into the weeds a little bit and talked about maybe in the future, you could incorporate this with your health app, like your Apple watch and get a full picture of what's going on with your body. While I was reading this, I, I kind of thought about that as well. Like what if this became a little bit sleeker and it could be incorporated into our active wear, like your shirt, um, maybe your shoes, and we could get measurements of the full range of motion of maybe your knees or your back or, you know, within your spine and compare it to a baseline of when you were your healthiest. And maybe like me, you haven't worked out during the pandemic and your body has, you know, significantly declined and you want to see what you got to do to get back to that prime again. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree. I, I, my, the wheels started turning in my head too, while you were saying this, like, Great minds think if, alike. That's what it is. If they prove this the way it has and it works, they could use that as a framework for all sorts of things, not just this you know, traumatic neck injury that happens when you get the surgery to remove the lymph nodes. They could use it to treat all sorts of types of injuries. I'd imagine if you're an elite athlete like these people in the Olympics, you'd be really interested in knowing how your range of motion changes after a certain type of training or a certain injury and having a benchmark using this type of neck brace or any other type of brace to measure how your body's doing that could be really useful information for them in their training and their recovery. For sure. And you know what? I'm going to harp on the 3D printed and inexpensive sensor part again. So if there's any engineers or anyone interested in this field at all, definitely feel free to try this out and let us know how it goes. Yeah. And if you ever need any test subjects, let me know and because I would be I think very down to try this out. discover anything interesting, we'd be happy to shout you out in the pod and talk about it as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, all this talk about neck braces has got me thinking about the neck pillows that you wear when you're traveling on a plane, because our next article is about quiet landing airplanes, and it's these researchers from Texas A&M University, and they're finding a way to reduce the amount of noise that an airplane makes when it's taking off, and specifically, actually, when it's landing. Um, for Bode, And this is a pain point for yeah, us. We both... You, I think we're going to say it. Yeah. I don't know if people know it. We live very close to Dulles International Airport, so we hear airplane noise a lot. And I didn't know this, but it might be a little alarming to you. It is alarming to me. The noise that airplane makes is actually really harmful to humans. So uh, it's considered a public health issue. Uh, it disturbs sleep, which I know because I've been woken up by an airplane before. But it's also, in the long term, it's damaging to your hearing. They advise against raising children near airports. And it also leads to increased risk of stroke and heart disease. So... Uh, maybe you and I are so we should move. Yeah, That's you what you're telling me. Increased yeah, it's risk time to move. of stroke and heart disease because of living close to an airport. I didn't know this, but it makes sense that researchers are focused on reducing the amount of noise that a plane makes um, during takeoff. The noise can't be minimized much without a lot of like extreme engineering on reducing the amount of noise that the engine makes because when the plane is taking off, sense. the engine is at full thrust. It's actually one of the only mm -hmm. points during an entire flight that the engines are at full thrust is when the plane is taking off. But during landing, the engines are basically just idling. So that awful screeching noise you hear when a plane is landing, interestingly enough, is actually just because of the shape of the wing. And that's the wings vibrating that's making that screeching noise when they're landing. Wait, what do you mean? So is it like one of those xylophones where when you hit the bar, it vibrates? And it, it's it's that's pretty it? similar. So it the way I like to think about it is it's the way that a flute makes noise. So um, when you play the flute, 
you know, the person playing it blows air around the main hole on the flute and it creates this turbulent okay. air and that causes vibrations throughout the rest of the flute, which resonates at that frequency to make the noise louder. So when a plane is landing, the wing shape changes. So the front edge separates from the main wing, which creates these little slat coves um, and it helps it land better. And it, but basically it creates this turbulent air that creates a whistling noise that resonates throughout the wings. And that's that loud screeching, oh. unpleasant noise just because of this little gap between the leading edge and the rest of the main wing. So, so, so the, the wing opens up with the slats when it does open up, there's these little cavities and the, the wing is vibrating and there's turbulent air and those holes make the loud noises that annoy you and I, and, is probably going to give us some heart issues down the road. That's what you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, basically that's it. And so cool. takeoff and landing are the two loud ones. You can basically, they're saying, eliminate most of the noise from landing using this new technology, which is they make an S-shaped fin to fill this cove where the air is being very turbulent. By adding this S-shaped fin, they're able to almost completely reduce the turbulent airflow, which significantly cuts down on the amount of noise that a plane makes during landing. How much is significant? So it's kind of hard to measure, and I dug a little bit into this research to understand it. Basically, they, they use a measure called EPNDB, which is basically the effective perceived noise in decibels. So EPNDB, effective perceived noise in decibels. Basically meaning if you or I are standing on the ground, how many decibels of noise from an airplane flying by actually reach our ears? Um, and... So it's comparing the noise from the airplane in comparison to everything else going on At, around as, that area. As a person who's a bystander nearby the airport. And gotcha. it can reduce the noise of an airplane by about four decibels, which doesn't sound like a lot, but because of the decibel scale being exponential the way it is, it's actually a lot of noise reduction. So eight decibels separates the quietest commercial airplane and the loudest commercial airplane. So four decibel decrease, you can basically make the loudest airplane oh. average and the average airplane, the quietest and the very quietest. quietest airplanes can be quieter than they've ever existed before. So that's actually a very, very significant noise reduction very just impressive. from these little S shaped fins that fill the slat coves. And this team from Texas A&M did a lot of research into how to create a shape memory alloy, basically meaning they use a stack of materials. They're thinking either steel or carbon fiber and an elastomer that will allow them to create these fins that pop up when the plane is trying to land and then they'll lay flat during the rest of flight so it won't disrupt the plane. So it's really, really interesting. They've done a lot of computational tests. They've done a lot of modeling and their next step is to create scale models on a scale model plane and put it in a wind tunnel and see if it actually works the way they expect it to. That is so impressive. I'm always blown away by the little modifications you can make to airplanes to give like huge outcomes. I, I don't know if you remember this, but the little winglets you see at the end of a airplane wing, that was like developed by NASA a while ago. And they, they said it reduced um, fuel consumption by like four to 10%. And you scale that to every airplane in the world and imagine like how much reduction that was. And where we are today. Now imagine if you start incorporating these, how much quieter you can make airports yeah, and, and flight in general. It, it seems to me, I'm not sure about this, but it would be awesome if these fins can be retrofitted to existing planes. So we won't have to wait for mm -hmm. it to roll out to future planes. We might be able to just put these memory, shape memory alloy fins inside the slats of all the existing airplanes and overnight reduce the amount that of noise that all these planes are making during landing. 
and and noise is like a big thing with air travel. I know we talked about it when we discussed uh, Boom Supersonic. Yeah, yeah. It, sound is a huge, huge problem. So whoever can minimize it, even like a small amount, like you were saying, four decibels might not sound like a lot, but in comparison, it's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, it, it could really make a huge impact on people's lives that live close to airports, like us. Yeah. It's close to home. <laughs> Definitely. Well, uh, if you've made it this far, thank you. We really appreciate you. You guys are an incredible audience. If you haven't already, please pull up your Spotify app or your Apple podcast. Hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out. Um, and you know what? If you have some extra time, we would really not mind if you just uh, wrote us a quick review. If you're liking the show, if you're hating the show, just let us know how you feel. Yeah, we, that would be great as well. We appreciate everyone who's being a part of helping us grow. Um, and we're looking forward to continuing this growth along with you. For sure. Thank you, guys. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace. That's all for today. The Next Byte Podcast is produced by Weevolver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit Weevolver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.